I'm Manas Campbell, founder and CEO of Kimia and Kimia Research. Uh, I'm really passionate about helping pharma sales professionals to feel confident about using technology to improve quality of their engagement with healthcare professionals. I'm really interested about the human element of that digital transformation. Enabling people to use technology is what I'm really curious about. And to explore this topic, I've been interviewing inspiring pharma leaders to learn from them and also to share their perspective. I'm really delighted to welcome Florent Edward, Senior VP of Global Head of Commercial Excellence from Grunentel to join me today here. Hi, Florent, how are you? Hi, I'm really good. Thanks a lot for the invite. Oh, it's a great pleasure to have you. So let me tell you all a little bit about Florent because he's quite atypical of senior leaders you meet. Most senior leaders in pharma started as a rookie rep and made their way in the career to become a senior global leader. But Florent is different. He started his career, um, a successful career in a French bank, uh, CDC. And I think that may explain why he's so good at numbers, focused on ROI, and is always looking at analytics to you know, shed the light and guide him in his team's progress. Uh, Florent um, left the French bank to um, launch a consulting and training startup company based in Paris, New York, and Kobe. And he worked with various pharmaceutical companies and him and his partners were so successful, developed the business and sold it to IMS in 2005. Then Florent joined AstraZeneca, holding various commercial roles uh, over 12 years with AZ from creating the global commercial excellence team to become a business unit director in Japan, where him and his team uh, delivered over 1 billion US dollars of sales launched various brands and drove the company national ranking from 12 to six in a matter of four years, which is very, very impressive. Uh, Florent uh, moved to Grunenthal in 2017 uh, to lead the global commercial excellence. And he's been driving the commercial transformation in Grunenthal since then. And Florent and his team designed and implemented the new customer experience driven Omnichannel delivered commercialization model, which I'm sure he would share some insights about that with us. Um, Florent is a regular speaker in uh, pharma events, and he's very active in LinkedIn, sharing his insight, which is amazing. And I was so happy to have an opportunity to meet him in person in Nice um, in October this year, where he was presenting, I think, three presentations in various rooms at Reuters events. So. It's so amazing to have you here, Florent, and I've got a bunch of exciting questions to ask you. Are you ready? Absolutely ready. Fire. Oh, cool. So you came to the world of you came from the world of banking. I guess what I'm curious to know is what really attracted you to join pharma and how different is it from an industry that is driven by data? So I think it was really a two-step move. So, you know, in banking, you are focusing on generating money, purely money. That's, that's all that you do from morning to, to, to the evening. And uh, I moved to a startup world where I could test entrepreneurship and those things. And I really enjoyed. And that's where I discovered the world of pharma that I didn't know at all. And working then, when we sold the company, uh, AstraZeneca called me. And I joined AstraZeneca and I found my purpose on the first global leadership team meeting where I went, where there was a patient, uh, that guy was suffering from schizophrenia, and he was talking about the voices in his head, and he was talking about the impact that the product was having on him, 
silencing the voices so that he gets his life back. And I really think, and you know, I always come back to that pivotal moment for me where suddenly my purpose, what I could explain to my kids or my friends, you know, what I'm doing in life, I'm not only making money for shareholders or bankers, I am trying to help patients get their life back. And that's really, for me, a total different of purpose. And that keeps me uh, moving and pushing the, the, the walls in the pharma world. That's really what drives me. I love that because all we do is about, um, you know, addressing the diseases and helping patients to have better lives. And it's so good that you share that example. I mean, I left nursing to join pharma industry because I really, truly believe that we can make a difference together um, in a much bigger scale that I could have done as a nurse working in a hospital ward. So that, that, that brings it to life. Thank you for sharing that. So Florent, you worked in Japan and I guess um, Japan is a different world, different culture. What did you learn from your experience um, that we, you can share with us from working in Japan? So I learned so many things. I mean, I spent four years in Japan and, and the, the, if I have to take one key learning that you need to listen to the people you know when you come as a foreigner in japan you think you know it all you think you know better than the locals and sometimes they do stuff that sound completely absurd to you why are they doing it this way and mm -hmm. generally they've got a good reason for it that they have tried and they have improved the process and the way of doing it for years and years and years and years and that's, that's the, the key learning I took from that is, you know, being in contact with a different culture, learning how they work, learning how they think, what they do really matters. It enriches you and at an outcome, you have a better product, you have a better organization. And they can also learn from you. You can bring, you know, things to the table. My, my, I think my biggest contribution to the Japan team was my push for a diverse and inclusive team. I took a team where I had a very, very small percentage of female leaders and brought it to 30% of female leaders. That's been a four-year effort. But at the result, the team was so much stronger and we delivered so fantastic results working as a team, locals, foreigners, male, female, with you know different types of people. That is another golden nugget for me. It's so interesting. Um, there's a post from Davidek recently on um, um, LinkedIn about are we actually listening to the insight that is gathered within the organization and I think um, the field force are have a lot of those nuggets and employees in the company have those nuggets but I think nobody is listening to them most companies tend to go and pay a consultancy and get them to gather the insight that is already there rather than tapping yeah. into the information that they do have yeah so that's really good insight and advice so Florence, you're currently driving the Grantel's new commercial framework and strategy. And this new strategy has tripled your productivity. Can you let us in your, any of your secrets? Um, so we, we, really, we really took a step back and we tried to look at, okay, what's defining an agile company nowadays? What makes someone be faster, smarter, better use of resources? You need a good strategy. You need the right structure, you need the right people, you need the right processes, you need the right platforms. So we launched a massive transformation program where we tackled all those elements one by one. And we did that with the teams. Uh -huh. but, you know, when we implemented our new omnichannel go-to-market model, we had a team worldwide of something like 70 to 80 people 
driving the local innovation. We brought them with us. It was not something coming from, you know, that, that post-it that comes from the desk of God and says, do omni-channel or die. That was, okay, let's together, let's learn, because we don't know. We, uh-huh. Together, we will learn. And I think that was fundamental to the transformation. Really, from day one, establish a relationship, a working relationship of trust, where we don't know, you don't know, and we are going to build the solution together. But thinking broad, one of the challenges of you know big companies and why they are sometimes slower than us, smaller companies, is the silo mentality, mm-hmm. is the business unit personal agenda, where people have built a small empire, and the last thing that they want is to open it up and be challenged by people from outside. We broke down those walls from day one, and that helped us you know, do the whole transformation. That's brilliant. And when was day one? When did you start doing this? Did you uh, do that before the pandemic or after the pandemic? No, so we started we started the digitalization before the pandemic uh-huh. because um, we were inorganized digitally. When I say inorganized, that we had a lot of different projects, a lot of proof of concept, a lot of pilots, a lot of stuff, very shiny. I could go and post on LinkedIn 20 posts a month, you know, of, yeah, we got that great stuff on Twitter and this campaign on social media. Blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, there was, there, there was no purpose. There was no intent behind that. There was no business ambition. So we started in 2017, uh, and then, yeah, we were hit like everyone by COVID in 2019, 2020, and that helped us accelerate significantly. That is brilliant, breaking the silos. So I guess you do co-creation of um, new content and any new ideas you're doing by the time people see it, it's, it's not the first time they see it. They've been somehow involved in creating that. So I guess that really improves the buy-in from the end users, does it? It, it improved the buy-in and it improved the speed to market. In a normal process, someone has an ID, generally someone in the global brand, and he, will, he or she will have to go through a step of approval and escalation, depending on the cost, can go up to the board to get an approval and a business case. And blah, blah, blah. By the time it's going to reach one customer in one country, it's going to be nine months, 12 months. Uh-huh. We have been able to facilitate and accelerate that by saying, Someone in the country had a great idea because innovation for me happens at the contact of the customer and there's nothing like a global customer. So innovation happens in a country. Those guys raise their hand saying, hey, look at what we've done. It's cool. It works. We pick it up globally. We propose it to everyone and the other ones implement it directly. So we bypass the whole thing of, okay, we need to think and is it fit in in our strategic plan? And yeah, well, it's not a global idea, so maybe it's a bad idea. And things like that. We, we foster an innovation culture this way. So you give more autonomy to the countries to be able to experiment with ideas rather than everything's being filtered from the top down. Is that what, what was? Yes, we try to focus their creativity on the business and on what really matters. Uh-huh. So we have established platforms and we say those are the global platforms and the global tools and we use those. And all of us use the same. Now, within that framework, your innovation it must be business-focused. must be how do we improve the customer experience? My generalist practitioner in Madrid, how do I deliver a great CX for him or her? And then, you know what? When it works, then I can raise my hand and say, okay, I've done it this way and it works. And then we share it with everyone. 
That's a better use of everybody's time. There's no point in having every country trying a different digital platform, different websites, different technology. It doesn't create any benefit for the patients or for the customer. Yeah, and I think that's great to really identify what are the things that are common that can be done once globally or by one team and replicated and what are the things that are unique to the local um you know healthcare economy that people have the freedom to tweak and you know evolve to make it fit for purpose and i think that's the challenge between global marketing and local marketing isn't it and right. differentiating right. what that is mm -hmm. and it starts with the data if you don't normalize the data if you don't normalize the way you do look at the data both in terms of transforming data into insights and how you treat those insights. If you don't normalize that, everyone talks about something different. Uh -huh. Then there is no real dialogue. There is number against number. I got a five, you got a two. Well, maybe your two is my five, or maybe not. We don't know. And 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 so people keep spinning on those topics. Yeah, and I think it's important to measure what really matters rather than just measure things for the sake of yeah. measuring things. Um, I remember at Reuters, you talked about ROI, not once, not twice, three times and more. And uh, I guess... That, that's, that's so important because a lot of people are throwing money at initiatives and piloting and testing things, but not many ask themselves, why are we doing this? And I think you're really good at asking that fundamental question. So I'm just curious to know, with your focus on ROI and your background in banking, where have you seen your best return on investment recently? Well, so recently, I mean, I would say strategically, the, the, the best return on investment are on projects or activities that have a defined business ambition. It starts from here. When someone comes with an idea, always my first question is, okay, what impact do you want to have? How will you measure that impact? And what does good look like? Mm -hmm. Then I will look at what's the idea. Once they can articulate the answer, it's worth looking at the idea. Then we are going to define the cost. And based on the impact and the cost, we will calculate the ROI. For instance, we have some brands that are established on the market and those brands, no one has done anything with them. And some of our team members say, you know what? I think if we have an awareness play, if we remind the physician that five, 10 years ago, they were using that product and that they liked it for a reason A, B, C, and D, we could have a, a, a boost in sales. And yes, it can work. If it's well done, it can work because it's a very low cost. It's a very high return on investment. You have to choose to choose your fight, but you can have very, very impressive ROIs. Mm -hmm. That's a really good point. A lot of people ignore the tail end, you know, established brands, but sometimes there's a lot of life left in them and you can have a commercial approach and to them to accelerate. The it's, it's good. It's good products. It's, you know, products that have proven their usefulness for the patients. Just some physicians have never heard about those products. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's it. So they they've forgotten about it. <laughs> yeah, completely. That's it. Yeah. So your biggest return on investment has been generating ideas and evaluating ideas from the outset to see what impact they could have in business, would you say? Yes. I think that, that's absolutely critical. If a project yeah. is to ask for funding, we tell them, we ask them, what impact do you want to have? Okay. Show us the impact. Yeah. And how do these ideas are generated? Do you have a system for people to kind of like post their ideas? Do they come to the global team or do they bubble up from the country and somehow find their way to you? How do you 
you know, reach out and get, capture these ideas? Yeah. So, so in, in, in the process, uh, we have created what we call the global asset teams, for instance. Okay. So it's not brand teams, it's asset teams because they okay. take care of an asset from early days till end of life. So that's very different because at the beginning, you're going to do a lot of market research, R&D and things like that, and clinical studies. At the end, you're going to do a lot of packaging optimization and, you know, uh, second brand and stuff like that. And they, that's market access, medical, marketing, production, commercial excellence, sitting together and looking at all we can do with the product. And that's where the idea comes because the markets right. are represented there. So when we create something, in fact, I will create it with Germany. So Germany is going to use it directly and the other markets will repurpose. But I can do for another asset with the US or with Spain. And that's how we got those people on board and they stopped developing their own local different strategy. They are fundamental parts of the steering of the asset at a worldwide level. That's brilliant. And then you group so you can see progress of the ideas and how and the impact. And, and we, you know, we've, we've been two in that transformation. I mean, two, more, more than two. There's an army. But for instance, Kate uh, Hertig, with the head of global portfolio commercialization, we have been working hand in hand for two or three years on that, just making sure that everyone knew that we were walking the talk. That we were sharing ideas and we were co-evaluating ideas. And if something goes live, it's because we both agree that that's a good idea for our organization to deliver. Perfect. That makes a lot of sense to me. Thank you for explaining that. Uh, Florent, you recently described the human challenge as your biggest challenge. Uh, can you elaborate on that for me, please? So pharma is, <laughs> pharma is a successful business, right? I mean, very profitable. A lot of managers, and the more senior they are, the more they have been successful in the past. Usually, you get promoted because you're successful and you do good things. And they have been relying on technologies and methods of the past. In the 80s, that was the awful, you know, invites for doctors to congresses where they had nothing to do and stuff like that. Then there has been the share of voice fight initiated by Pfizer sending armies of reps to the doctors, and it was share of voice, share of voice, share of voice. Uh, and so it's very difficult for them to adapt to the new paradigm. It's very difficult for them to realize that, you know, the average age of a TikTok user is 27, and that those physicians that are entering the, the marketplace now, they are Gen Z, and, mm -hmm. and, you know, as well. So that digital engagement is primary. It's difficult for them to look at analytics that are complicated that they have not been educated on. So it's not that people don't want, it's just they don't know and they have been successful doing something else. So they stick to that. And we have to bring them with us slowly, giving them time, giving them the room to, to learn, to make mistakes, to claim their mistakes and to get better and then to be successful. And that, that's the real challenge because Changing technology, you can do it overnight or three months, six months, a few million dollars and you change technology. You can do that with the people. It takes time, trust and, and, and trial and error. I think um, it's really interesting. I was going to talk to you about uh, pharma leaders and the culture um, because I was in a workshop recently and I think one of the barriers we identified that is actually stop digital transformation is the leaders within the pharma organization. And some of it is because they kind of like still thinking in the old school way of thinking that you alluded in earlier. 
So how can pharma leaders create a culture that allows people to innovate and make mistakes and learn? Because I think CEOs are still thinking about, you know, profitability, answering to shareholders. So they're probably a little bit risk averse. But how can actually organizational leaders create that culture of innovation that allows room for making mistakes and learning? Yes, shareholders matter. I mean, in any business, you know, the, the, the owner of the company, whether they're shareholder or family, are the people you work for. They pay your salary and everything. Mm -hmm. So you you owe them quality and results and in everything that you do. Now, that does not mean that you can't take any risk. And specifically, my, my advice and my way of doing it is let's empower the people. Let's give them runway. Let's not manage them by, you know, micromanagement. I want to report every week on your progress and stuff. Let's agree that as a manager, I can estimate the workload and the resources you need to achieve that business objective. And then you go off and you do it. And you're going to learn on the way, even if it's ambitious and no one has ever done it, you're going to learn if it's doable and how it is doable. And maybe for three months, you're going to spin around and not find a solution. And then one day you're going to come. But if, if we don't let... We don't empower our, our teams. One, we kill innovation. Two, in fact, we don't use the multiplication factor of having multiple team members. If I am the one deciding everything and controlling everything, the delivery of my team will be directly linked to my own personal availability. Uh -huh. That's it. Where if I empower the people, then suddenly I've got 10 people taking decisions and delivering results. So the, the, the output, the throughput is 10 times bigger, just mathematics again. Yeah, that, I, I love that example. It shows the impact of innovation if you allow room for people to work on it. Have you ever thought about giving recognition to people who fail? <laughs> because what we recognize and reward expands. Yeah, so we, we had uh, we had the discussion in a leadership forum because you know we asked the question. Okay, who in this room has failed? And no one raised his hand to say I'm failing. I'm like, you're the senior leadership team and we are preaching, you know, a uh, uh, fall and, and, and learn culture. And uh, so we are not rewarding for failure, but, but we evaluate the outcome of the projects, whether they fail or they don't fail. And when they fail, we try to understand why did it fail? Why was it not corrected in time? Now, honestly, if you work in an agile way, the failure rate is far smaller. Because you can correct or you can kill early a project if, it, if there's no hope to achieve the outcome. So in your view, do you think pharma leaders are adopting Agile, agile themselves? I see Agile on a lot of slides. <laughs> I'm, I'm I don't think most people know what it means, though. They're just using the words. Yeah, no, you're right. I, I, I see the, the, the term used a lot. Uh, I don't see, for instance, a lot of minimum viable products. Uh, I still see a lot of, okay, we need to specify everything to the micro detail before we start to get something in front of a customer. I don't think it's really embedded in the organizations. I mean, we're training our teams on Agile and we're pushing it, but it takes time. Yeah, it does take time. Yeah. It's good that people are talking about it. So, uh, Florent, where do you see the future of the sales reps in our industry and what advice would you give to any uh, pharmaceutical sales professionals or leaders uh, watching us? Um, I see the rep as being the orchestrator of the omnichannel and of the customer experience 
specifically in specialty care, more uh, around the key account management approach, for instance. And I do think that those reps of the future need one to listen and learn how to interview and listen to their customers. Two, they need to know how to orchestrate based on the, the learning and those insights, the right customer experience for their customers. What content are they interested in? When do they want to consume it? How do they want to look at it? Which channel do they want to use? What do they need for their patients? And how can we tailor the offering of the company for that specific doctor, nurse, or a pharmacist or whatever, so that they get a great customer experience and that they understand which product to use for which patient in which conditions. That for me, it's fundamental that which that requires a lot of rewiring in terms of capability. It's mm-hmm. being able to actively listen, and that's only one of the skills, but it's also knowing the science, knowing the medicine, being credible in front, in front of a customer. Like if you want to have a discussion, you know, with a, a specialist of you know asthma, an asthma specialist, you better know your medicine. Otherwise, you can just repeat marketing message and you become irrelevant. You can find the marketing message on the website. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, Florent. I think gone the days of sales representatives being um, delivering deliverer of the marketing messages and just dumping messages. I think we need intelligent, scientifically driven, analytical sales professionals who, as you said, can listen, um, communicate relevant content through the relevant channel to the healthcare professionals with impact and also be able to gather insight and feed that back to the head office so the company can evolve messages and approaches to stay relevant, to stay um, uh, on time. The timing is so key. Like you said, when you use the example of the healthcare professionals, you don't provide information within the timely fashion, you miss the opportunity, um, both at the individual level, but also at the healthcare economy, because a lot of, um, you know, you talk about specialty medicines, they're prescribed by individual, but the established brand, the decision around them is made uh, across the population. So people involved in making decisions around the population, they need to receive the information on a timely manner so they can actually do um, collective decisions around the wholesale switches or changes that is appropriate. And that's a huge commercial opportunity for companies. So I agree with you. I think there is a huge place for the representatives and sales professionals to bring meaning to the communication to healthcare professionals and just kind of like gel it all together and be the orchestrator of that communication. But we can't do that with basic skills that maybe were effective 10, 15 years ago. They need to be scientific, analytical, good communicators, really good listeners and respond in a timely fashion. You cannot deliver that if you manage the reps using coverage and frequency. No, you can't I agree with you. Yeah, you need to you need to give them freedom so they can, you know, pray their principle. Um 20% of growth, 80% of growth comes from 20% of the accounts. Give them freedom to identify where that is and they can focus on that rather than just trying to cover do coverage and frequency across the whole of the territory or you know country. That's totally irrelevant. Um, mm-hmm. I think we need to be much more commercial in the approach and just 
respond. If somebody is not ready, then deprioritize, move to another area where they are ready and there is a true alignment between brand proposition and what the healthcare professionals and the healthcare economy wants to achieve because that's where you really develop true partnership and true trust right okay yeah yeah so it's been absolute delight and pleasure to have you here florent i can talk to you for hours um, but i just um, maybe need to invite you to talk about analytics another time but i just wanted to say thank you so much for sharing your insight and uh, i just want to wrap up to say that um, we're really excited at Kimia Reset because we developed a fun and engaging cloud-based training platform that focuses on that softer skills needed for the sales professionals to be able to communicate effectively with healthcare professionals. And our platform has been described by some as a Netflix of pharma sales training and has been a game changer across many um, sales teams in 12 countries. And what they say to us is actually increase their confidence, um, increase their quantity of their both face-to-face -face and virtual contacts as much as five folds and that's been sustained over a year and it really increased the quality of their interaction helping them to build trust and long-term relationship but we're not standing still we're developing new exciting um, uh, content around uh, effective habits for omnichannel engagement mindset and also we're developing a tool to improve uh, viva crm um, viva engage crm system uh, adoption among the sales teams. Uh, that's it from me and Florent. And thank you again for joining us to um, listen to this series of Digital Transformation Insights. Thank you. Thanks a lot for the invite and see you soon, I hope, again. Yeah, thank you.